Hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. Over the last few weeks, um, I've had a number of people ask me whether or not the gathering we do here online that you're maybe watching right now as part of one of our Sunday morning services, if it's the same as the gathering we do in person in the building. And the answer is yes and no. Yes and no. I think if you've been watching us for a while, you know we're, we're unable to live stream. Uh, our internet just doesn't do that out here in a cornfield. We can't possibly keep up with that. But there's also some differences just in the way we function. Uh, the truth is, I, as you know, I pre-record the message that you're watching here. And, and it will be, in most cases, the same message that we, you would hear if you were sitting here on a Sunday morning topic-wise and text-wise. It's the same material. However, there is a difference when you're sitting in a room together. And, and what we've tried to do, especially in the last several weeks, is expand our understanding of what it looks like for us to, to think about the Word of God, to consider the Word of God, and to try to, in some, some cases, to wrestle through it, what it means and what it's about. And so if you come to one of our in-person gatherings, there is a great deal, I think, of interaction, and my guess would be it's going to continue to grow. That's, how, that's where I kind of see things going. As we continue to ask actual questions to people and seek answers as we respond to one another and wrestle with the text together, I'm just letting you know to know that you have a couple of options. If you enjoy and this meets your spiritual needs is to be online watching us, then we are so blessed that, that you allow us to be a part of your life and a part of your spiritual journey, thank you. But if you're looking for a way to be more engaged, um, I would encourage you to try and stop by one Sunday morning and join us then uh, as we, again, work with one another as we're all helping each other pursue God together. We are in the third week, fourth week, fourth week of our series called The New Exodus. It follows the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, these complementary books where the people of God are returning to the their homeland, Israel, after a period of 70 years of exile by the Babylonian Empire. And they were removed from their place at God's permission. In fact, God allowed it because they had forgotten who he was. They had forgotten to worship him, to engage with him, and to have a relationship with him. And it begun to seek out different sources for strength and protection and, and relationship, including other gods. In week one, though, we, we looked at God's promises and, and recognized that God is a keeper of his promises. And though he said, hey, look, I'm going to send you off into exile into Babylon because you forgot about me, I'm also going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back in 70 years. And he did just that. But we must recognize that sometimes, though God keeps all of his promises, he may not keep them the way we expect him to, or sometimes even the way we want him to, because the way he sees the world is much grander. He sees the whole picture. We just see a little piece that is admittedly pretty self-centered, <laughs> right? That our world revolves around how we perceive it. God sees it all working. And so sometimes he makes different choices than we would. But knowing he's the promise keeper helps us understand that it is the choice that should be made. In week two, we talked about the importance of sacrifice. Um, as God sacrificed much, including ultimately we know as Christians, Jesus Christ, his son on a cross, uh, he gave up something of value to him 
the life of his son for something of more value or greater worth or importance. You and I, those who were lost, who were separated from him so that we could come back to him. And then last week we talked about worship, the importance of worship in our, in our spiritual lives, our walk with God as a priority. In, in fact, it's essential for us to engage with God often. It is the source of our strength, that it is both a time of remembering who our God is and anticipating actively that he's going to do something again. It's a time where we have an opportunity to confess and, and sometimes repent. But either way, to heal the relationship we have with God and to move forward with him and with each other. This week, uh, where we left off, and we're going to leave off in Ezra, or we're going to pick up in Ezra where we left off. Where we left off in Ezra last week, the altar of God was built. It had been built by the people. It was built before the temple was built, before the, the city walls were rebuilt. Uh, but the temple itself has not been, was not, and obviously neither the city. But now, now as we, we finally come, the temple has begun, the work has begun, the foundation has been laid. Near the end of chapter 3, we see this incredible scene where the foundation of Ezra chapter 3, we see this incredible scene where the foundation of the temple of God has been finished. The cornerstone's been laid, the foundation's been readied, and now they can begin construction on the temple. But we see this moment where they all stop. They all stop to, to praise and worship God and celebrate. And, and the text tells us that there was this massive loud celebration that could be heard for miles around. That was this combination of shouts for joy for those who had never seen the temple before begin, but anticipated it and wanted it and were ready for it. They saw the beginnings of this wonderful thing. They were shouting for joy, but there were others, the older among them that remembered the old temple. They were weeping for joy weeping that something had begun again, that God's presence had been reestablished. Because for the Jews, that's what this was all about. This was all about God's presence being returned to their homeland. And the temple signified that for them. As we meet up now, though, and moving forward all the way through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, Author Derek Kidner says it this way. He says, from this point onwards, right to the end of Nehemiah, there is conflict. This is conflict all the way. Nothing that is attempted for God will now go unchallenged. And scarcely a tactic will be unexplored by the opposition. They've gotten the foundations laid and they've had this massive celebration, but there is much left to do. And since they've made some progress... It shouldn't be surprising at all that those who we've talked about before have been pushing them back and trying to be difficult and attacking and discouraging will only up their game. We're going to pick up in Ezra chapter 4, and we're going to look at three ways that the forces that be, whether they be individuals or groups or spiritually, in the case of spiritual warfare, three ways we see in Ezra and Nehemiah in which there is conflict when you're trying to move forward in your relationship with God, move forward in the work he's having you do, ways that the forces that are working against you, and there are forces working against you, that will stop you, or at least try to stop you. So let's pick up in Ezra chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 to start with. 
It says this, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard the returned exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the family heads and said to them, let us build with you. For we worship your God and have, a, have been sacrificing to him since the time King Esar Hadan of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the other heads of Israel's families answered them, You may have no part with us in building the house for our God, since we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. They say something interesting. These folks come to the people of God that, that we've already determined are against them. And they say, hey, you know what? We've had a change of heart. How about if we help you build this? Because we also worship the God you worship. But the leaders turn them down. Why? Well, look, I don't know about you, but if I've got a big job ahead of me, a lot of something that needs to be done, or maybe even just a little something needs to be done that's more than what I can handle alone, and somebody comes by and offers to help, my inclination is to take the help. You know, if I'm trying to move a large piece of furniture that's bigger than I can clearly handle and somebody says, hey, uh, do you want me to help you with that? I absolutely am going to take the help. In this case, they're trying to rebuild God's temple. They're trying to rebuild a city. And though they have, they have artisans and they have money that the king of Persia has given them and they have all the things that they need to do it, when somebody comes along and offers help, you might be inclined to take it. The thing is, they have uh, sussed something out here. They have recognized that this help that is being offered comes with a price. If you've ever heard the story from the Brothers Grimm, Rumpelstiltskin, uh, where there's a young lady that a king locks in a tower when he finds out that she can make, or allegedly make, golden thread out of straw. And he locks her in a tower and says, look, you need to make, with a bunch of straw, and says, you need to make golden thread out of this, or... I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. That's a great scene, isn't it? She panics because she can't do that. But in her hour of need, this impish little guy named Rumpelstiltskin shows up and he says, you know, I can do that. I can spin straw into golden thread. And all it will cost you is the necklace you're wearing. That's all it's going to cost you. And she says, take the necklace. If you can pull this off, right, you will save me and maybe the king will let me go. And so he does. He does works magic and he spins all of this straw into golden thread and then disappears before the, before morning. And the king comes in and says, hey, you pulled this off. This is amazing. I got something else for you and takes her into a room with even more straw and says, now you got to do this or I'll most likely kill you in the morning. And so she screams again. She's like, what am I going to do? And this imp shows up again and does the same, spins all of this thread or straw into thread and says, I just want the ring on your finger. Well, this continues for some time. And, and eventually the king is having her spin this massive amount and Rumpelstiltskin shows up and he says, you know what? I'll do it for you. I will do all of this massive amount for you, these warehouses full of straw. I'll do it in a single night, but I'll only do it if you will give me 
your firstborn child. And the woman shudders at the idea of it. He came pretending to be her way out of a mess, but his motives were anything but pure, and the cost was simply too high. We saw in verse 1 of the text we just read that these were enemies. These were enemies of the people of God, right? Uh, and on the surface, it may look like a style, a, a, um, an olive branch. They're reaching out to you, but that's really not what's going on here. These enemies are the beginnings of the people that would eventually be called the Samaritans. And though they do worship God, there is a problem. We see it. You have to look around to see it. But in, in uh, 2 Kings 17, 33, he describes the problem. The author says, They feared the Lord, that's these, this, these people, the Samaritans, but they also worshiped their own gods according to the practice of the nations from which they had been deported. These people who had been moved here by King Hassar, Hassar Hadan, yeah, they knew who God was, and, and yeah, they worshipped him, but they also worshipped other gods. In other words, they were hedging their bets, right? They were saying, you know what, any one of these gods, big G or little g, any one of these could take us out at any minute. Why don't we just worship them all a little bit, or commit a little bit to all of them, and then we should be covered. Hedge your bets, right? If this guy comes through, then then we won't need the other ones, but let's be sure we've got it all taken care of. It lacks any kind of full commitment. And it's, and it's that, kind of, that kind of straddling the fence that they will continue to do. In the book of John chapter 4, Jesus runs into the Samaritans. He runs into the woman at the well who is a Samaritan. It's an entire group of people and an entire area they call Samaria. But he, he runs into this woman, and in verses 21 and 22 of John chapter 4, he says this. He says, Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. That would be the Father God. And then he says this, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Even then, they're, they're busy worshiping all the different things they possibly can or investing in the things they possibly can. As long as they think it will provide them some protection, they're in. The problem with that is they're a bit unstable in their worship. They're not dependable. And at the end of the day, their goals are not the same. The people of God are there to try to honor God, to bring glory to him, to restore the name of God to their homeland. They are serving him. Their focus is on him. And for these other peoples, their focus could be on them if, if it works out or it fits. But if it's not, if something goes haywire, it might change. As I said before, if I was trying to carry that couch and somebody came by and offered to help, that would be awesome. But if we're halfway through the move and they drop the other end of the couch and it hits me on the foot, then I'm, <laughs> and it breaks my foot too, then I'm worse off than when I started, right? You have to be able, when you're going to jump into something like this, especially the work of God, to, to be someone who can be depended on because you're moving the same direction. And you have to be able to depend on others. Paul addresses this, this concept in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and he, he says it in verse 14. He says, don't be yoked together with those who are do not believe, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? He says, look, don't be 
unequally yoked. If you know how a yoke of oxen works, it's two oxen pulling together to move a load. And because each of them are pulling and they're pulling at the same rate and they're working in step, they're able to pull a much greater load than any one of them could alone. But the truth is, if one is pulling fast and one decides they wants to take a left turn at Albuquerque, <laughs> Bugs Bunny, it's a Bugs Bunny reference, or if, if one decides he just wants to go at a completely different pace, either too fast or too slow, then actually not only will that oxen not be able to do the work he could have done, <laughs> It may just come to a stop altogether and causes more harm, more pain than it's worth. That can happen often. I see it and happen in relationships, in relationships that we have in our friendships and in our familial relationships and in, especially in spousal relationships of husband and wife. You might have one spouse that is pulling and they're yoked together, they're tied together in their journey of life. And one is pulling hard towards holiness, towards the things of God. And the other is not. They may be just kind of letting the other one drag them along, or they may just be pulling a completely different direction, which creates a whole other mess. But they're not equally yoked. They're not moving together. And the context of Paul's writings in Second Corinthians is, exactly that. If you're not moving together in your relationship, you shouldn't be connected to one another because it's counterproductive. And what's going on here in our text in Ezra is they're doing exactly that. These people are coming in here and they're trying to say, you know, we'll yoke up with you. We'll connect with you. We'll walk with you. We'll, we'll do this work with you. But, but really, they're not focused on the work that needs to be done. And it's going to lead to more trouble than it's worth. And, and we see it. We see how fickle their, their thoughts and feelings are in their reaction, right? As we finish reading that text we were in, it says, look, you told us no? Okay. Then the people who are already in the land, in verse 4, it says of Ezra chapter 4, it says, then people who are already in the land, they flipped a switch. They discouraged the people of Israel and they made them afraid. And they also even bribed officials to put roadblocks in their ways. They, they went off the deep end. They got mad. They got vindictive. They got difficult because you were no longer pulling with them. That's someone who doesn't see the goal. That's someone who's not focused on where things are headed. We're reading a book, some of us in the church right now, called um, Canoeing the Mountains. Um, and we're talking about growth, growth development, some change, learning to, to lead better in what is largely an uncertain time in our world right now. And one of the phrases that the author, Todd Bolsinger, says is he says, you haven't, you haven't come to victory until you've survived the sabotage, until you've survived the reality that there are sometimes forces working against you. And if you're not doing what they want you to do, they will get in your way. They will make it very hard, even if what you're trying to do is godly and holy and exactly what he's calling to you to do. They will try to misdirect you. They will get in your way. The people of God have repeatedly throughout their history, if you read the Old Testament, demonstrated a fragility in their faith, a fragility that made them easily influenced by those they were yoked to, by those who are around them. And the cost was often way too high. 
We see a discussion of it in the book of Exodus where the people of God are warned, don't connect with these other people. Don't, don't match up with them. Don't marry them. Don't, and it says very specifically, don't marry these people because what it's going to do is drag you away from me. It says in Exodus 34, you'll start to worship their gods. And sure enough, it's exactly what happened. There are so many forces in this world that are trying to pull you away from the, the mission that God has you on, whether that be reaching out to others or that be serving or that be encouraging whatever you've been gifted to do because i believe if you're a follower of jesus christ and the holy spirit is with you you're gifted to do something to forward his kingdom but there are those along your path that might try to misdirect you instead of supporting you that might try to jump in with their own agenda rather than god's agenda and finding god's agenda can sometimes be challenging but that is the call nonetheless that we are supposed to embark upon. The second thing we see is here in our text is that they will try to destroy things and destroy the progress that has already been made. Remember, we're studying both Ezra and Nehemiah, which I think really clearly you can see this in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. I'm going to read it out of the CSB. It says, So... We rebuilt the wall. So they have, at this point, they have finished the temple and they're working on the walls around Jerusalem. The final step. They have put so much into this and made it so far. And says, so we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined up together up to half its height. For the people had the will to keep on going. You know, we're excited about where we're headed and what we're doing. But when... Senbalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, which by the way, are the, they've now got names for the leaders of the people that Ezra was fighting in the previous chapter. It says, when they heard that the repair of the walls in Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. When they heard that progress was being made, the progress they had been trying to thwart, they got mad. And it says, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them that day, that because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborers fails. Since there's so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. They have shown up and tried to find ways to sabotage them, tried to find ways to destroy what they have already managed to accomplish and ultimately put a stop to it. One of the things I do um, most weekends at my house is I clean the bathrooms at my house. Um, my wife's got two jobs at this point. She's super, super busy. And so we try to divide the housework and, and don't tell her I said this, but she does way more work than I did. I'm sure she doesn't know that. She knows that. She does way more than I do, but I try. I try to help where I can. And one of my jobs is to clean the bathrooms on the weekends. And so I do that. But there are times when I'll be halfway through cleaning the bathroom. I've just cleaned the toilet, for example. That's a, also a fun visual. And one of my kids will come in <laughs> and go, I got to use the bathroom right now. And they'll dirty what I just cleaned. And you know what? I understand. I understand that it's a bathroom. It's going to get dirty. But when you're in the middle of trying to get it done, does it not just frustrate you? We have three bathrooms in our house. It's like, use the other one, right? You couldn't just let me finish. You had to thwart what I was trying to do. And now I feel like I have to clean 
it again. You're driving me crazy. And I know my wife feels the same way when she's trying to clean around the house and trying to sweep the floors. And then me or one of the kids or the dog comes running through with dirty feet and she's just going, you have got to be kidding me. Can I please get this swept? I just want to be finished. I can imagine the people of God being so far along. They've invested so much time and of themselves and their emotions and their excitement and their disappointments. And they're seeing this as an opportunity to bring glory to their God. Let's not lose sight of that. That's really the most important part. And in the midst of it, somebody's trying to sabotage it and throw it to confusion and undo what they've already done. They've invested so much years of progress and perseverance and completion is nearing in their sights. And this group shows up and says, no, no, we can stop this. And the thing is, it was working. In verse 10, it said, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborers fails since there was so much rubble. They discouraged them and got them to stop. They weren't able to move forward with anything else. When... Heather and I moved to Arkansas for me to go to seminary. I was about 40 years old. I got a late start. I'm a little slow. But as we were moving to Arkansas, we God put so many things in line to make it all work and make it happen. And we get there and we're ready to go. School starts in a day or two. We're getting the kids enrolled and everything. We're driving around getting stuff, eyes dotted and T's crossed, and we're feeling really good about life. And then um, yours truly misses a car coming at us and turns in front of them and totals our van. Absolutely totals our van. 100% Rob not paying attention. Rob distracted. Rob not doing what he needed to be doing. And it was so disappointing to us. But we knew the insurance company would pay for it. And so we um, filed for our insurance and I got I got a ticket. I got cited. I should have. Um, Luckily, everybody was okay. Praise God for that. But we get a rental car and we're driving around in the rental car. And this is two days later, we're in the rental car and someone rear ends us. Absolutely just smacks into us and rear ends our rental car. And I remember Heather looking at me and going, are you sure we're supposed to be here? Are you sure? And the answer is yes. We were confident that we were supposed to be here, but God was trying to disrupt us or not God. There were forces, definitely not God. There were forces there that were trying to disrupt us, that were trying to make us rethink the work that God had called us to do and called us to finish and basically get us to undo it, to move home, to give up on the whole project. The thing is, I think that can happen to us regularly. I think anytime we are moving forward and growing in our relationship with God or um, our capacity to live out the call that he has in our lives, if we're letting him transform us to change us, that there can be forces that come at you that try to make it feel like you haven't made any progress or that you can't get it done, that might deny the growth you've already achieved. If we were to back up just a little bit in Nehemiah chapter 4, in verse 3, it says, Then Tobiah the Ammonite who was beside him said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up on what they are building, it would break down their stone wall. He's trying to say what they've done already isn't worth a hill of beans. There's no value in it at all. It's weak, it's feeble, and, and not 
worth the effort that they have put into it. And that is clearly not the case. But that won't call that won't cause your detractors to to avoid saying it. They will. They will. Because remember, they're not moving the same direction you are. Maybe they're going to call you out. Maybe you've been renewed by, by the Lord. Maybe you are completely different than you were a year ago, six months ago, five years ago. It could be that somebody's going to pop into your life and say, you haven't changed. You haven't changed that much. There's no way. That's not true. If you are pursuing God, that is not true. He is moving your heart. He is moving your mind. Don't let those voices tell you otherwise. Those voices might also try to create confusion and doubt, making you hyper-focus on what you have left to do, the fact that you are imperfect, that you are are not worthy, because at the end of the day, none of us are worthy of the grace that God gives us, but that doesn't change his heart. He's willing to do it anyways, but that doesn't stop the forces at work, individuals or spirits, because yes, I do believe there are spiritual forces at work, from whispering in your ear, you're not good enough, you can't do this. They're trying to destroy the progress you've already made by making it feel like it's minimal, if anything, it's weak, and it will never get you where you want to go, and nothing could make you further from the could be further from the truth. They're trying to make you forget that God, it is God that will carry you as long as you keep going. The final thing we see that I want to address today in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter four, we're going to pick up in verse 11, is that those who are trying to stop you will make it personal. They'll make it personal. They'll get in your way and create roadblocks for you. Check this out. It says in verse 11, And our enemies said they won't realize it until we are among them and can kill them and stop the work. That's taking it straight to you. It said, When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us, and time and again, check this out, everywhere you turn, they attack us. It's not just at the workplace they're coming after them. They're coming after them at their homes. Because if you can't get to work, then the work can't continue. If I can throw up an obstacle that that keeps you away out of fear, fear of serving God, fear of doing what he's calling you to do, fear of engaging in him. I see that all the time with some of the students we work with, with peer pressure, right? They, They don't want people to know sometimes that they are followers of Jesus or that they are reading their Bible regularly. It's almost embarrassing because people will say, you read that? Are you kidding? They will do their best to keep them from even opening the book. They will do their best to ridicule them and tear them down. And the truth is we talk about this on Sunday mornings a lot. We talk about those. If you're here online with us and your internet is working, I would be willing to bet at some point something has thrown an obstacle in your way to keep you from turning it on this morning. Maybe you didn't feel quite right. Maybe your internet was giving you difficulty. Maybe... Maybe your alarm clock didn't go off, or maybe you couldn't get to sleep the night before, or something was going on. It's not a guarantee, but I know it happens because I've seen it all happen all too many times where we are trying to move forward with God, but something is saying if you don't even get there, if you don't have access to his word, if you don't have access to this time together, if you can't worship me to begin with, then it's gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, it's not possible for you to finish the work that I have for you. They will throw up obstacles and try to intimidate you. So how do we respond to that? How do you respond 
to those who would try to keep you from following God to the best of your ability? Uh, Nehemiah gives us an answer in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15 through 23. It says this, when our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, keep that in mind. I didn't frustrate it. God frustrated it. God frustrated it. Every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. And from that day on, half my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who came, who carried the loads, worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist when he was building, and the one who sounded the ram's horn was beside me. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along this wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. (laughs) Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men, while half the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. And at that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I and my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. That's commitment, right? So how do you fight against these forces that would try to stop you from pursuing God or pursuing the work that he's got for you? The first is to stay the course, keep going. It says in verse 15 of what we just read, when our enemies heard that that we knew their scheme and God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to work on that wall. We went right back to work doing what God has called us to do. Keep reading scripture, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep doing God's work. Continue to pursue the prize that he has laid out before you. Paul talks about it in first in Philippians 3 verses 13 and 14. He says, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of holiness, true holiness and righteousness in God because he's on a journey just like all of us are. He says, but I, I one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Stay the course. It will be challenging at times. It will be frustrating at times. And it will be at times even depressing because the forces are working against you. But remember that God has said he, would, he will always abide with you. He will always walk with you as you are walking with him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will get you there. And the people of Nehemiah discovered that. God had frustrated this. God was fighting for them, right? Our God will fight with us. He is with us. He is for us. And he is stopping those forces that would go up against you. But you got to stay your course. He's fighting. We got to fight too. The second thing is to stay vigilance. This is one of my favorite sections of scripture because it says that he prayed and then he put out guards. It says that half the men did work and half the men stood guard. There's a vigilance required if we're going to protect our hearts, souls, and each other from those things that would tear us away from God. You have in your hands, if you're carrying a Bible or you're watching it on your, on your screen, 
You have something that is called the sword in the armor of God. It is the sword. It is the one weapon in all of the armor of God, right? There's the breastplate of righteousness. There's the helmet. There's the, the belt. It's all there. But this, this word, that's the sword. That's the weapon you have to stay vigilant with and be ready to fight off what might come your way. Soak it in. Chew on it. Wrestle through it. Work on it together. Learn so that when the forces come, you're ready. You're ready to fight back, right? And finally, lean into one another. Lean into one another. It says that the officer supported all the people of Judah. They were all in this together, trying to help one another pursue God. They were doing, they were rallying to one another, helping one another. It says, when you hear the ram's horn, come rally together because we're going to be ready to fight, not in separate places, not as we're spread out, but as one together. Because sometimes there are forces in this world that are overwhelming for one of us. But when we're all together, it's kind of hard for it to stop. And finally, be present. It says they were in Jerusalem together. They stayed together. We need one another. We are built to need one another. And not just on a Sunday morning at a worship gathering, whether it be online or in person. We need one another on Saturday and on Friday and on Thursday. And on, you get the point? We need each other in life on a regular basis, whether it's a phone call or a text or an email or stopping by to say hi. We need to be there to be present with one another, to encourage one another. And keep our eyes on the victorious one because our God will fight for us. And by the way, just a little side note, if you flip forward a couple of chapters in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, it says, despite all these things, despite all these people trying to thwart them, despite all these forces against him, despite everything, it says this in verse 15, the wall was completed in 52 days. All the way around the city completed in 52 days when these forces were divided, right? Half were defending and only half were actually building. 52 days they completed this wall. And when our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and they lost their confidence for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. God has accomplished the task already of calling you to him. When he was hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. And what he meant was that the battle is won. Even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment you're in, even if you feel like there are forces fighting against you, if you stay the course, if you stick with him, the battle is already won. The outcome is already determined. Nehemiah and his people found out the wall was going to get built and got built in 52 days. And we will sit at the right hand of God when this is all said and done because his will will be done. And the end of the story of the Bible, the book of Revelation, pretty simple. The theme is God wins. He wins. And if you're with him, you get to win too. Stay the course, stay strong. And if you need one another or need us, please let us know. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.